Here we go. It's Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 17th in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we like to take a look at the readings for the coming Sunday, which will be the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 23rd, 2023. And again, we have a problem. What's the problem? Well, the three readings are all excellent. And so I could do about an hour sermon on each reading, if not more, and we have to choose which one to read. But we're going to be taking a look today at the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 44. The epistle is from Romans 8, and the gospel is from Matthew 13. Why have I chosen for this broadcast to talk about Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 to 8. This is God speaking to you about himself. Now, when we talk about God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's read Isaiah 44, beginning with verse 6 to see what God says about himself. Verse six, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Now that's verse six. Did you notice that the word Lord is twice? And in the English, It's all capital letters, which means it's referring to the name of God that we find in Exodus. I am the Lord your God, Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, we think, because there were no vowels in those days, and so we're kind of guessing at that. But notice that verse 6 talks about two lords. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Now, we know in regard to the triune God that, yes, there are three persons, but they are one Lord, one God. It's a real mystery, but we believe it because of the power of the Holy Spirit that has given us faith. So what's the first Lord? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel. That would be referring to God the Father. And then obviously, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, refers to Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer. And when we talk about him being the Lord of hosts, that really is referring to all of creation, specifically the angelic host. All the angels are under the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So right away, this is Isaiah. This is the Old Testament. We find immediately that God 
speaks of him as being Lord, King of Israel, that's God the Father, and also Lord of hosts, the Redeemer. And why is Jesus referred to as the Redeemer? Because he redeems people from their sins. Uh, the idea of being a Redeemer is found in the day of Jesus as a way of freeing slaves from their slavery. The master could either buy them or the slave himself could buy his way out of slavery and he was redeemed. But God is the one who purchases us, purchases us by the death of his son, the Lord of hosts, his redeemer. Remember, Jesus says that when he is being arrested, he could call down angelic hosts who would protect him. But he doesn't do that because he is obedient to the will of the Father to become the redeemer of the whole world. Then God continues and says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, that language, first and last, is also picked up in the book of Revelation. It's kind of referring to the beginning of the alphabet and the end of the alphabet. I am the first and the last. In other words, God exists before anything else and he will continue to exist for all of eternity. And besides him, there is no God. This is God speaking. It's just really a mystery to me how the people of Israel, after having been taken through the Red Sea, after having been given water from a rock, after having been given bread from heaven in the form of manna, after having been given meat in the form of birds, how they ever could worship anybody else or anything else as a god. And yet we saw that happen. We saw it happen at Mount Sinai when Moses took a long time in coming down from the mountain. So what did they do? They had Aaron take their jewelry and make them a golden calf and worship the golden calf, something they made out of their jewelry. It reminds us of later Israel taken into Babylonian captivity because they made statues of wood and iron and worship them, kiss them bow down to them. How can you do that? Well, guess what? You and I do that almost. What? We don't wear worship statues we make. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Remember the proverb from last week, the parable of the sower. The seed is sowed on different ground. And depending on the ground, well, sometimes people who hear the word of God fall away from it 
because of the temptations of the devil or because of their love of the world. They, they love money. They love possessions. They love their reputation more than they love God. That is breaking the first commandment. That is setting up other gods before us. Thanks be to God that he has given us the Holy Spirit where we can repent of our sin and receive the greatest gift the world has ever received, the gift of the forgiveness of sins. So this is God speaking in Isaiah 44, verses 6 and 8. I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Verse 7 says, Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people. So God is challenging every other idol that we have. Let them proclaim that they are like the true God. Well, there is no idol like the true God. Every other religion in the world outside of Christianity has as an idol a God that they worship, asking that their works be seen as sufficient to save them. Tell me a religion that doesn't teach that. Only Christianity teaches that God does the works that save us. And that is in his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that an ancient people were appointed, were declared, were chosen. And what was there about that ancient people? They were a very stubborn people. And God still chose them because God was making the point that nobody can be saved apart from him. God is the one who appointed them. And he can prove it. He says, you know, those gods you have, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. And of course, they cannot. In fact, many of the false idols of the Israelites declared that Jerusalem would not be destroyed. They declared that the temple would continue to stand. They declared that God will never leave them. But we saw that that did happen, where the Babylonians came in, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and it says the Spirit of God went up on the mountains away from the temple as the people were taken into bondage for many, many years. So there are no other gods that you can have who can declare to you the future and what will really happen. The only God is the God who is omniscient. What does that mean? It not only knows that he knows all things that is happening to you right now, but that he can also read your heart. 
we were looking at Proverbs on Wednesday, and one of the items that it was talking about is that God can read the hearts of people. When someone tells you something, you don't know whether they're telling the truth or telling a lie because they sound so good. But God can read the hearts. He can declare what really is to come and what will happen. Therefore, there is a promise that follows this. It's in verse 8 of Isaiah 44. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? What's God talking about there? That his people are his witnesses. They have witness that they need not be afraid. How many times were the people of Israel in big trouble? Like being for 400 years under the slavery in Egypt. What did God do? He delivered them. He redeemed them through the Red Sea. He took them through the wilderness for 40 years. He brought them to the promised land. He made them a great empire. But of course, they divided themselves and worshiped other gods. But in those times that they were afraid, when the enemy was attacking them, God protected them. Fear not, nor be afraid. That's the God that you have. You may be going through an illness. You may have had someone close to you die. You may have griefs at work. You may have problems with money. God says, fear not, because you are my witnesses. What are we witnesses of? We're witnesses of his promises that he will take care of us. And as we trust in him, those promises come to us and we receive many, many benefits. The last part of Isaiah 44, and I want to remind you, this is the Old Testament. You don't have to get people into the New Testament to learn about the triune God. He already is clearly found in the Old Testament, even from the first verses of the Bible, where God the Father, it says, creates the world, where the Holy Spirit is above the waters of the world, and where Jesus says, let there be light, and there was light. Those are the first three verses of the Bible, and you've got the Holy Trinity. So how does Isaiah 44 end? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Now you see, God uses metaphors throughout the Bible to help explain his nature 
his work and his love toward us. When he speaks about how much he loves us, it's like a shepherd who goes out to find a lost sheep. The lost sheep cannot find itself. It's lost. But the shepherd picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. That's what the true God does for you. The true God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even in the Old Testament, he is referred to as the rock. The rock that follows them through the wilderness. And who is that rock? That, of course, also refers to Jesus the Christ. He's found throughout the Old Testament. And so God asks you this question. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Now, that kind of refers to a parable that Jesus even spoke about a man who was building a house. Well, one built a house on sand and shifting ground. And it wasn't long before the house fell because of floods or pestilence. But the one who built his house on a rock, that stood through everything. God is therefore a rock for us. So of the three lessons, the Isaiah chapter 44, 6 to 8 is a great lesson to share with people about who God says he is and how there is no other God. Each Sunday, there are kind of three parts to the liturgy. There's an introit, which means what we say when we enter introit into the holy worship service. Listen to the introit for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. They are always verses from the psalm. This is from Psalm 86. As we worship and begin our service with, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. What are we pleading for? We're pleading for God's grace. And what's his grace? That's the gifts and the benefits that he gives to those who do not deserve it. When we ask God to be gracious to us, we don't want him to be just, giving us what we deserve, which would be eternal damnation. We want instead to receive his grace. And that's what we plea for, that he is merciful in not giving us what we deserve, and he is gracious in giving us what we do not deserve. The next part of the introit, teach me your way, O Lord, in order that what? That I may walk in your truth. You see, the way of the Lord, which means the way of salvation, is the narrow road of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins. That's the truth in which we walk. 
that he died so that we will never really die. And that even at the moment of our earthly death, our spirit will be with God. We will be walking in his truth. And we ask God in this psalm, unite my heart to fear your name. That means we recognize that God is the one who created us. He is the one alone who can save us. He is the first and the last. Besides him, there is no other God. So the psalm continues. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. What does it mean to glorify God's name? It means we praise him, we honor him, we worship him, we give thanks to him. All those are also part of the liturgy in how we glorify his name because there is no other name under heaven in which we are saved, through which we come into salvation. In fact, the next part of the psalm underscores that. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Now, Sheol in the Old Testament, remember that's the place that those who drowned in the waters of Noah's flood, that's where they went. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Peter. When he talks, he descended into hell to proclaim victory against all of those souls that rejected the true God and made other idols. They were lost forever in the depths of Sheol. You see, you're born in the kingdom of Sheol. You're born in the kingdom of Satan. That's why when we baptize even an infant, we speak of it as an exorcism of taking the child from the kingdom of Sheol and bringing the child into the kingdom of God. And what is the gift that they receive? Is the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the greatest gracious gift that God can give us. And that's a gift that continues throughout our life as Psalm 86 continues. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. That's also found in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs. Insolent men are those who reject the true God and worship their own gods. They're ruthless, seeking your life to give it to Satan in contrast to God 
who saves your life. And they do not set God before them. They set themselves before God. They decide what is morality for them, not the words of Holy Scripture, like the Ten Commandments, but their words of selfishness and insolence and rejection of God. Psalm 86 is good news for us as it ends. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. This is in the Old Testament. Not just in the New Testament is God merciful and gracious, but he's said to be that way even in Psalm 86. And then it explains how he is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The steadfast love is found in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who dies so you will never die. And faithfulness means he keeps his promises. There's nothing you need to worry about in regard to your salvation, for he has accomplished it. Join us tomorrow when we'll look at the hymn in Holy Conversation. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.